How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR. IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. And thank you for listening to the Final Inspection Show. Yes, Steve Zotke along with my trusty sidekick, Jeff Verlosky. Hello. The Polish pipe bomb. And it's a little chilly today, but Great Lakes Dragway is open. It was They were rained out yesterday, but they're going to have cars on the track today and tomorrow. And uh, Jeff, you know what warms you up more than just a little bit of horsepower? A lot of horsepower. Yes, and it gets you warmed up inside, and it, it's going to be a, a nice, nice day. Just well, it's just warming our, up now. You hoodie. know, the the later it gets, it's well, getting it's well, getting more comfortable. It's uh, visually, visually, it's a very nice day out. Yeah, sun is out, and you get out in the sun, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. So get down to Great Lakes Dragway. A couple frosty beverages will help warm you up as well. They got some phenomenal food down there, so. You'll be fine. Bring the family. Just get down there, watch some racing, and uh, thank us later. And uh, well, I also would like to thank David Hobbs Honda for their support. In fact, we're going to have David on in the second hour, talk a little Japanese Grand Prix, which, interesting enough, everything's canceled today because of a typhoon. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, gonna... <laughs> bad timing out there. <laughs> or good timing that it looks like, though, they should be able to get the race in tomorrow, so... Uh, Apparently, so. they have one-day typhoons in Japan. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> having never lived through an actual uh, typhoon or anything uh, near a typhoon. No, a typhoon, from my understanding, is just a hurricane in the Pacific, right? Maybe we should talk to... What do they maybe- call a tidal wave now? A tsunami. Tsunami. Oh, okay, that's what I was... Yeah, that's okay. actually the original name. Then they called it tidal wave. Now it's back to tsunami. Okay. Maybe we should talk to a meteorologist. Let's do that in in the second uh, second half of this hour. We'll talk to Dennis Michelson, and we'll talk about some Talladega racing and uh, find out uh, what's the difference between a typhoon and a, a hurricane because, after all, he is a meteorologist. Yeah, he's a little more learned than learned, I am. A little more learned <laughs> than us, even though I just took a little bit of meat. I just know enough just to be dangerous. Uh that was when I was in, let's see, fifth grade. Fourth and fifth grade, I was going to be a meteorologist. All right. Well, yeah. I don't know anything about that, but, uh, you know, teach their own. I, uh, I, What I do know, though, is when I, was, when I was walking in here at 530 this morning. 530? Yeah. Uh, I was uh, still in bed. You know that winter's on the way because I look up and there's Orion. So first oh, time I saw Orion this year. 
So, you wow, know. I'm impressed. The cold weather is a coming when you can see Orion uh, up see in the skull? sky. Yeah, oh, yeah. Look at you. I'm impressed. I didn't know you looked up in the, at the stars. Hey, man, you know, it uh, it beats uh, the view down here most of the now, time. <laughs> are you a, a, as much of a geek that you know when the International Space Station is flying over? You do have no, little, they have apps that will tell you when it's flying over. All right. Yeah, no, I don't know anything about that. I just, okay. Orion is one of the constellations that always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I... Are you- are you one of these people on a, uh, when it's clear out at night and you always kind of look got your eyes up and oh absolutely looking for meteors and whatnot? Yeah, you know when I uh, especially if I'm up north, you know it uh, you can see a lot more oh, stars yeah. up in uh, Door County at my house than you can down here at my house. So uh, you know when I'm up there, but you know what got me into it was when I was a kid. My uh, my family uh, they had a farm out in rural Michigan and. Uh, you go out there at night, and oh man, was that awesome! And you know, you never realized because I, growing up in Chicago, you know, you see two uh, stars in the sky. It was like, oh wow, look at all those stars, you know. And then you go out. I went out to rural Michigan and looked up at night, and it was like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, kind of a uh, life-changing uh, experience there. So, you know. Quite uh, quite a difference when you don't have uh, the city lights surrounding you all the time. I like, um, yeah, I, I've seen some pretty awesome meteors and whatnot. I remember I was wa- I was walking the dog at the old house in Milwaukee, and I look I'm all, I'm looking up, and it was a, a winter. It was a mild winter day, um, you know, like a forty degree day. But I'm walking our first dog. I'm walking down the alley, and I look up, and I just remember just saying expletive after expletive because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was seeing what I thought was first was a meteor, which actually turned out to be space debris. Okay. And it was one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. So if you you know, if you look up in the sky, uh, it was pretty much from, I don't know how to describe it, like the, you know from 20% on one side from 20% on the other. I could see this thing just fiery thing across the sky and i just was like awesome <laughs> it was spectacular and it was it was big enough where i made the news it made the local news and so much that my wife who was actually leaving work at the same time she actually noticed it that's awesome so, and she was like did you see that i said you saw it too and she was out working out you know waukesha county somewhere at the time and, uh, yeah, it was spectacular. I just couldn't believe it. Well, you know uh, who was fast like a meteor last week? That uh, your boy Kyle Larson. He was. You know, uh, gets off to Schneid. How about that, too? You know, he's the only guy who's uh, sleeping good tonight, you know, heading into uh, total toss-up at Talladega. And, uh, you know, congratulations to Kyle Larson. That uh you know, obviously he made the playoffs and everything like that. So Back to call then, his season I mean, a complete disaster right. is is a little rough. But for the talent and how little he has uh, to show for it this season, you know, to me he's a top seven, top eight driver in NASCAR. And uh, 
which means that I think he's struggled all season long because he's so, he's way too good to be in crappy equipment. And and here's the thing: he runs so well at Homestead, and there's a lot of people who are thinking that if he can somehow, you know, he, okay, he's in this round, he's going to make it. If he can get into that final round at Homestead, oh boy, look out! Yeah, you know, and it it it's akin, and this is what NASCAR apparently wants is you know they want that hot team. You know, that, that team that, that, that gets hot, whether it's the 2010 Packers, whether it's uh, a few years ago with um, the Cardinals, a couple, you know, a couple years ago that was uh, you know, only won 85 games, ended up winning the World Series. Uh, we've seen that in the football. We've seen that in, in, in the NCAA tournament, yeah. too, where you get a hot team, make a run for it, and, and you know, this could be – now where it lays out, if he can get in and if he can build up some playoff points and whatnot, and he gets into Homestead, those three other drivers are going to be pretty nervous. Yeah, they definitely will be. And uh, you know, it's funny because this season, you know, I, next year Phoenix is going to be the uh, the final race of uh, of the season. So that sets up very well for Kevin Harvick. And uh, he is dominated down there. And so if, uh, you know, if Harvick makes the final four going into Phoenix next year, it's hard not to consider him the hands-down favorite going into that race. So, yeah, there are people that are going to be very worried about Kyle Larson if he can get into the final four. I think he's going to have to probably win um, the – he's going to have to probably win the – Sometimes one of the races in the next round think, to yeah, get in. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it won't be Martinsville. <laughs> no, it definitely won't be Martinsville. But they were saying, you know, a lot of people talking that now he's got two weeks to prepare. Yeah. Or, you know, th- basically three weeks to prepare for well, it. Well, and I, I thought it was interesting. They had, um, uh, who was I listening to? Uh, Steve Letarte, I think, was saying how Chad Canals used to prepare. And they would just – they wouldn't care about the three races. They would just prepare for Homestead. Yeah. You know, so – and it's uh, – you know, so it's – then that's the – that's how that the 42 car is going to have to do it. They're going to have to put all their eggs in one basket and then key up on a race, get in, see what they can do to get into Homestead because Homestead is, like I said – It'll be really interesting. You'll probably and it, it it could very well be. I mean, it would be really cool to see Larson in along with probably Harvick and then two of the Gibbs cars. Oh, absolutely. So and do that we would have be some... hell. That would be hell of a fight. Oh yeah, yeah. You got that right. Do we have some breaking news here, Steve? Yes, we have some breaking news from okay. the world of NASCAR. Well, well, breaking news on the fan. It's powered by Radio.com Sports. And, uh, and brought to you by Indeed. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Indeed.com slash hire. H-I-R-E. Per uh, uh, Jordan Bianchi of The uh, Athletic, Ross Chastain is going to join Colleagues, uh, Colleagues Racing's Xfinity program for a two-car 2020 effort next year. That's it? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, we well, hope, what did you think? Was, we I mean, hope you guys were Kevin all sitting Harvick down for that Kevin Harvick has retired one. immediately, <laughs> effectively immediately. No, Ross has seen his. I just wanted to run that on the show today. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. But it you. is breaking. It was, uh, 
Actually, I, I was listening to NASCAR.com on the way in, and uh, they were talking. He was on there. But interesting, another thing I wanted to bring up, I thought was fair. I never thought I would hear this on NASCAR.com and Sirius Radio. They're talking about getting rid of the truck series. Why? Because there's too much. They can't. They can't. They can't float. There's not enough money in the world of stock car racing and NASCAR to float Cup Series, Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, and now with this with the new ARCA deal, ARCA deal with the KNN Series and everything, where you got the three, where you basically have a three and one series now. And and I kind of I like how they're doing that. They kind of blending them, and so what you're what what basically what they're doing with the KNN East and West series, and the ARCA series is they're, they're blending the three of them. So which which when when NASCAR purchased ARCA, I thought they would go in this direction. You have an E series with KNN, you got the ARCA series in the Midwest, and you have the KNN West series. And you kind of homogenize or homogulate homogulate the rules. And then you have a series of races. I think it's four, I think. Um, And and you bring bring all three together. And I think that's a way. Because what you're trying to do, these are smaller teams. Right. And you want to cut down on the travel. You don't want an East Coast team having to travel all the way over to, you know, the Sonoma right. or Phoenix or whatnot, and vice versa. You don't want the, the team on the West Coast having to, to go all the way out to Loudoun in some way. So this way, you know, maybe, you know, you have all three of them in Daytona or some of the super speedway races, and you you you, you try and get everything together. I think it's a, it's a win-win. It also raises the, the uh, profile of the, of the three series too. You can kind of, they can kind of work together and promote together to bring that series up. Let's face it. Arca series is kind of hurting when you have a uh, 2019, 2022 car fields. It, it's not a good look. Right. But they just signed that, that nice sponsorship deal with Menards that, yeah. and all that. So, you know, I do like you. I do, I do think that, uh, you know how they're going to do that that revamped ARCA series is fantastic. However, if NASCAR got rid of the truck series, that would vi- that would hurt them a or ton. Or the Xfinity series. You, you know, know. Wanna, because what well, here's the deal. Once and this is after this is after this current TV package. So we're looking at 2020 after the 2021 series. And that's when you're going to see a lot of money go away. So, with that with because let's face it, the TV series is propping up those three series right now. Yeah, the TV contract. The yeah. TV contract is, and 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 once that money goes away, our teams like Joe Gibbs, is 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 Kyle Busch Motorsports, and some of these other teams going to be able to put a race team on track? Are they going to want to extend themselves like they would have to without that TV money? Yeah, but the thing is, is that NASCAR then would either have to collect the same, uh, you know, off-the-top money from the tracks to run their series there and divvy up some of that money to some of the teams to keep them alive. That's the other thing. Are they going to be able to get the same sanctioning money? Well, I'm sure the sanctioning money is going to go down a little bit, but NASCAR is going to have to sit there and write some checks to keep these teams alive. We talk all the time about how 
you know, the truck series, you know, probably seven out of 10 races is more exciting than the cup series. And obviously anything is more exciting than the Xfinity series nine times out of 10. So, you know, you're, you're taking away what is your best race out of the weekend as far as pure racing enjoyment. That's going to hurt, you know, and obviously if you look at the stands, you know, the truck series is struggling and Kyle Busch Motorsports is basically propping that entire series up now, which is unfortunate because if you drive for KBM, right. you have such a huge advantage over the rest of the field that it's almost not even fair right now. But it's still one hell of a product. So I hope NASCAR, you know, they uh, they sit down and, and think about this uh you know, very carefully, because if you take away your most entertaining race, like I said, about 70% of the season out of the weekend, that's going to hurt you in the long run. Speaking of the truck series, uh, qualifying con- concluded this morning for the uh, 14th annual Sugarlands Sugar Lands Shine at 250. And uh, Matt Crafton uh, is your pole winner at a speed of 180.925 miles an hour. Tyler Ankrum. The rookie, the 18-year-old sensation in the 17 car is second with Harrison Burton, Johnny Sauter, and Sheldon Creed, your top 10. The rest of the top 10 includes Todd Gilliland, Riley Herbst up from the uh, ARCA series in that 18, or in the 51 car, I should say, along with uh, uh, show favorite Brett Moffitt, uh, Corbin Forrester, and Stuart Friesen in your top 10. Other notables include... Uh, Natalie Decker, who's on the show, qualifying 19th. And Timothy Peters, who's been a winner, previous winner on uh, the driving for Joe Nemechek, 22nd. And uh, and then, of course, uh, Jeff's favorite, Angela Ruck, qualifying 26th. 32 car or 32 trucks in the race, which will start in uh, shortly. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh... So I, I hope everybody has DVR'd it. So they can listen to the show and then watch it after the Badger game, like me. Or just sit there and throw the race on, on mute, listen to us, and then uh, at 2 o'clock, turn the volume up. But uh, we got to be more entertaining than those commentators. Have you ever seen The Ruck Life? I have not. Neither have I. No, I have not. We should probably do that. That should be a... Homework assignment? Homework assignment, and then we'll report back. Okay. Angela Ruck, who is the former Angela Cope, who is the niece to 1990 Daytona 500 winner, Derek Cope. So let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more Talladega uh, coming up next on the final inspection show. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Dennis Michelson, who will be reporting in. we got a wide variety of, of topics I want to talk about, including the new infield, which is pretty cool, the new uh, Bill France Center, whatever they're calling it, Bill France Senior uh, kind of entertainment thing going on in uh, at Talladega. Kind of neat deal that they have here. It's kind of like the, what they had at Daytona, but I think it's a lot better. So uh, I'm kind of intrigued by that. We're, we'll talk to Dennis on that. Then to, to, uh, second hour, we have uh, David Hobbs coming up at the top of the hour in the second hour. We'll also talk with Eddie Lapine checking in from Road Atlanta and also tentatively uh, David Land, who will be also reporting from Road Atlanta. So a lot of stuff going down there. Of course, with the 10-hour Petite of uh, Le Mans, the Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta coming up in the second hour. So uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be right back after this on the Final Inspection Show. 
Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotti along with Jeff Orlowski. Talking some NASCAR Talladega this week, but uh, let's want to look in the rearview mirror at Dover. Some interesting, a couple of interesting things happen, not only with, of course, uh, Kyle Larson. I guess you could call it, isn't it an upset win, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a, it shouldn't be, but because it, he's in that 42 car, it, it, it is. It is. Um, but, and I mean, upset win, but he led 154 laps. Yeah, he uh, did. Uh, Denny Hamlin, who always runs well there too, led 218, but uh, it was him and uh, Larson that, that led the most. Martin Truex, 15 laps led. Uh, Alex Bowman finishing third, uh, putting together a nice little... Uh, Jeff and I are in a, uh, a NASCAR pool. It's one of these where you set, uh, you have, you know, drivers are, are weighted with uh, salaries. I guess you could call it, you have a certain amount of salaries. And once you set it, you're set. And I know I have Alex Bowman on both of my teams. And I'm le- actually leading, surprisingly, uh, first time ever, I'm leading the year the year to date standings. And Jeff, I just noticed is after this last round, you're in fifth. Fourth. Fourth now. Up to okay. fourth, yeah. So I guess we know a little bit about something. But uh, Alex Bowman, I thought, for the price that he was being offered, was a very, very competitive. So he's on both. And, and he's he's been delivering uh, nicely, very uh, steady year, and it, it's been showing some dividends, hasn't it? Well, absolutely it has. And not to pat ourselves on the back too much, this isn't like first and fourth out of a 10-person thing. There's, what, 180-plus? Yeah, 180 people about, yeah. You know, so it's, it's a it's a huge, uh, a huge uh, group there doing the fantasy thing. But, yeah, Alex Bowman, you know, what a year for him. And, uh, you know, he's ruffled some feathers lately, got in, uh, you know, a couple uh, – couple little skirmishes and stuff on and off the track but uh you know it's it's good to see that uh you know it's good to see when a young guy who is heralded as one of the up-and-comers actually steps up and proves it and now he had a lot of advantages over say Bubba Wallace you know who's in that god-awful 43 uh with no money and no chance to compete week in week out so Alex Bowman does have a lot of advantages his way, but that said, he's taking full advantages, full advantage of the advantages. So good for him. Yeah, and and he's you can't call him the number one Hendrick driver just because Chase Elliott has the uh, has the wins, but I think he he's the steadiest. I think uh, if you would use the old point system. Uh, I think he would be probably ahead of Chase just because he's been very consistent. He has had a couple blips, but it's all it seems like he's he's kind of in 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 the mix where Chase kind of is kind of almost feast or famine. Or am I misreading that? No, I think you're right. Uh, you know, Chase Elliott kind of has a lot of Kyle Busch in him, where you know he's either running top five or he's you know on the third page of the. Uh, of the you know the the leaderboard there and uh you know it it is feast or famine with uh with Chase a lot and um you know it Alex Bowman has been steady Eddie and you know he's one of the obviously he's not a huge household name or or all that you know if you're a diehard you you know him and everything like that but if you're just a casual fan you know it's kind of it seems like he's kind of taken up the Kevin Harvick 
where did he come from kind of mantra uh, this season where all of a sudden, you know, there, there's about 20, 25 laps to go in the race and you're looking at the top 10 and, and there's Bowman sitting at number four and, and coming on strong. So he's done well. He's done very well for himself. Yeah, he certainly has. And with uh, Dover last week, um, it's the the big, and I don't want to say controversy, but, but kind of the big news was with the uh, uh, Joey Logano having an issue, having, uh, finding out when he's pu- pulling out on the pace lap, he's got a broken axle. And to be honest, I'm really surprised this doesn't happen more. Right. I, I am too. You know, with the impound race and everything, and yeah, I've seen it in other other forms of racing that's happened, you know, or we've had, had even had mechanical breakdowns in the past on on pace laps and and stuff, and and whether it's uh, and in the in the past you would kind of see it. One of the things that was real common uh, in, in in back in the day, especially in NASCAR and some of the over and older series, you'd have a uh, Sometimes they would overfill the reservoir, the oil tank. Mm-hmm. You know, they use a dry sump system, and you'd get that, and there'd be oil everywhere. And you'd, well, one car would be smoking, and they'd have to bring them into pits. And you know that that new crew member would probably be asked to do something else. From now <laughs> on. But uh, you know, you would see that, but you don't see that. And you know, we're we're and we're always very critical of of NASCAR. And and some of the things they're doing, and and, and you know, I want the listeners know we're we're critical of NASCAR because we've been NASCAR fans, especially for me, all my life, dating back to the '70s when I was a kid, and you know, I love the sport, and especially growing up with it, you know, it was a great uh, kind of a diversion from IndyCar and kart and whatnot, and. And, you know, just we always said, I, I've always said on the show, too, I was a fan of all motorsports growing up. I didn't care what it was. It was stock car racing, IndyCar racing, sprint car racing, Can-Am, road racing. If it had a motor in it, you loved it. Damn straight, you know. And, you know, it was ABC Wild World of Sports or bust, you know. Yeah. And whatever they had, it was pretty much what you had. So, and we're very, very critical of some of the changes that were on. But you look at the, the, the drivers and the crew, very professional. And you don't see the 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 full pause in in racing that you saw maybe in the past. That because let's face it, that those teams right now one through thirty six are a hell of a lot stronger than they were twenty thirty years ago. That were maybe were one through twenty four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they are. They are. But you know, it's funny because just a couple of weeks ago we talked about how there's so few mechanical breakdowns nowadays in NASCAR, and now we've seen a lot of them in the last few weeks. A couple guys have dropped the transmission. You had even, the, the even, axle with uh, with Logano. You know, there's been more issues than that as well. So now it seems like the mechanical problems are starting to uh, to rear their ugly head right in the heart of the playoffs. And this is fantastic because it creates drama. And it there's been huge swings in the points every single week. Yeah, even then, I mean, uh, a place like Dover, which in the past just tears up cars, and in the past definitely tore up engines, you only had four DNFs. Right. One of them was the 77 car to Reese Sorensen, which is, you kind of put an asterisk on that. Mm-hmm. That's a team. It's not a... It's a let's face it. They're a field filler 
you know, not a start and park just because they're not supposed to start and park, but they come, you know, they, they put in their, they get their laps in, and if they're not going to move up, they're going to park it, which he did. But you had Chase Elliott, you know, had that motor go. You had uh, Ch- uh, Chris Boucher had an engine go, and then uh, Ryan Blaney with suspension, which, I'm, you know, surprisingly, you don't get more suspension issues at a track like Dover. Yeah, it is surprising, and uh, I thought it was, you know, obviously I – you know, you kind of feel bad for uh, for Chris Busher, but uh, that uh, that was the one race that Ricky Stenhouse has beat him in since the uh, <laughs> the announcement came that Stenhouse is out oh, and Busher is in. So you know, uh, I'm sure Ricky is going to wear that like a red badge of courage. But uh, you know, we all know the truth, and uh, you know, it. Uh, I, I got a kick out of that one. You know, you you look at the at the final finishing order and. And there's Stenhouse over, but oh yeah, but Busher had mechanical issues. Well, I tell you what, let's uh, talk a little more uh, NASCAR coming up here. Let's bring uh, Dennis Michelson in at the next segment, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more, especially Talladega and some of the news and notes uh, issue of it uh, coming up next on the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway and uh, David Hobbs Honda. Final inspection. Final inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan brought to you, of course. By the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove and our good friends over at David Hobbs Honda. Now we turn to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline and welcome in the rock star himself, Mr. Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. Dennis, how you doing today, buddy? I am doing fantastic. A uh, little road trip across the state of uh, great state of Wisconsin today and, of course, Picking up some destination cheese before we head home. Smart man. Cheese curds? Oh, all kinds of cheese. <laughs> and maybe, maybe even some of this, this cheese and beef uh, stuff. Uh, you know, that beef jerky, you know. You guys got it all up here. Yes, we do. If the cheese curds don't squeak, that means they're old. <laughs> they gotta squeak when you when you eat them. That's how you know they're fresh. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like the squeak though. I li- I I didn't like the squeak at first, but I got used to it. <laughs> All right, Dennis, Mister Meteorologist, is a hurricane in the Pacific Ocean just called a typhoon? That is correct. Hurricanes okay. are for the Atlantic, and typhoons are for the Pacific. Otherwise, same dynamics. In each storm. All right. Well, that puts that to bed. Uh, Dennis, with the race last week, and, uh, you know, obviously Kyle Larson wins at Dover. Uh, Joey Logano had the, had the broken axle, you know, before the green flag ever drops. He's in the garage getting repairs done. But uh, was he wrong to not pull over and let, you know, Denny Hamlin had some uh, – some comments about him post-race and all that, saying that why is the guy 20 laps down racing uh, so hard and he should have pulled over. But the flip side of that is why should anybody just pull over and let the leaders go instead of racing them hard? 
Which side of the fence do you uh, stand on on that question there? Well, when you're 20 laps down, there's no way you're going to get back to facing the leaders for a lap that really counts. So there I can understand it. But Dover is such a tight track. Where the heck are you going to go to get out of the way? That's the problem with a track like Dover. It's, it's just so narrow uh, in the, the straightaways. The corners have plenty of room, but it narrows down so much. It doesn't matter if a guy is just, you know, a few tenths off the speed. He's going to be tied, you know, to the challenge for that spot. So, you know, yeah, 20 laps down. You should be yielding to the leaders. You should not be causing problems. But at a track like Dover, sometimes it's hard to find a place to escape. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, there's also some speculation that I guess that Logano maybe had some bad inf- you know, intel on that, that thinking that they could have, you know, he was out there racing these guys, thinking he could move up a few positions and get some points when, in fact, uh, there wasn't really a possibility for for him to make up any any real positions in that race because of the lack of uh, a DNFs in that race. So, uh, you know, I kind of agree with what I was hearing earlier in the week that, yeah, I got to also place some blame on on the crew for that, for giving him the bad information. Because, you know, especially a place like Dover, you know, maybe Alan Kowicki can figure all that stuff out in his head. But, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're quite busy out there and you're, you're kind of at the – at the will of your pit crew to find out where, where exactly you're running and who's running where on that track. Dennis, uh, Talladega, well, of course, one of our favorite tracks. And what, what, what's, what's, what's one of your favorite memories from that track uh, that dates back to 1969 now in their 50th year? Oh, my goodness. That's an easy one. It was the last win for Dale Earnhardt, the old Dale Earnhardt, uh, when he got that good shove from Kenny Wallace to go from like 17th to the lead in the closing laps out there. Um, you know, that was the last time they used that uh, sort of wicker bell uh, on the top of the car package. And it gave such an amazing closure base that we were able to see some pretty outstanding racing. Uh, but that's one of my favorite memories is watching Senior just absolutely motor through the pack at the end of the race that was thrilling wow because i was gonna say you know for me it was you know the the surprise wins of you know whether it was james hilton or uh ron bouchard or those guys or phil parsons but yeah it is it is that just seeing that incredible run between with him and kenny wallace locked up and and just racing through the field it is uh quite uh yeah, quite a memory, especially for the for the Earnhardt fans going nuts in the grandstands that day. Uh, have you seen new infield additions at Talladega? No, I I have missed the uh, the coverage so far this weekend. I was up in uh, Minneapolis. My youngest daughter was getting married, so I've missed the preliminary stuff. You know, I have not seen the the new additions yet. Yeah, I w- it, it's pretty cool. It, it, they've they've kind of it, it, it's kind of similar in uh, theory what they did with Daytona, with the fans being able to see with the you know seeing into the garages and that. But they've taken that next step. It's it, it's a lot of improvements on it. They kind of got a f- uh, faux 
you know, a retro look on it. And they've have, they have like a big, um, uh, what's the word beer type, uh, patio type thing that's, uh, that has a you know cover on it. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Let's put it this way. I'm more interested in going to Talladega now after seeing that this weekend than I was a couple weeks ago. In fact, uh, my, my friend is down there for the 50th anniversary with his, uh, Plymouth Superbird with his vintage stock car. So I'm going to be, I'm going to look forward to chat. Maybe, maybe we'll have uh, Doug on the show next week and we'll chat about him and his, uh, what he thought about Talladega and, and the new infield and that, but it, it, it looks pretty cool. You know, you gotta give them a, a, a gotta give them a thumbs up on, on that. Uh, moving over to uh, silly season. Uh, where, where, where is Ricky Stenhouse going to be in cup next year? You think? Yeah, I do. Um, I do not think a top team will be signing him. But Ricky Stenhouse Jr. still has the talent to to attract a team that is looking for a driver. And, you know, Chris Boucher's team lost a driver. There will be other of these mid-pack guys that will be looking to add a driver. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has, uh, in the past, been very sponsor-friendly for his sponsors. So, I think that will, you know, be sort of a drawing card. You know, when you think of some of these guys, you know, some of the drivers that are way down the the pecking order in NASCAR, they're not very very good talking to the sponsors. That's not a problem Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has, and he probably would be able to uh, to attract a few new sponsors to a smaller team. Yeah, I think that's right, and uh, you know the only negative against him is he's, he can be a little hard on equipment. So, I mean, there's a plus. He's 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 aggressive on the plate tracks, and 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 which which you need because it, it it's interesting that it, you know the, the drivers that are most aggressive on the plate tracks are the ones that move to the front. And uh, I, I heard a thing earlier this week about if you're running in the top three, you have a less than a ten percent chance of being involved in a wreck at Talladega or Daytona. So. If you want to avoid a wreck to, uh, tomorrow at Talladega, you know, get up front and stay up front. So uh, it's kind of a, you know, if, if you sign a driver like Ricky Stenhouse, you're going to be looking at the tracks at Daytona and Talladega for him to do well at. But, boy, Martinsville and some of these other tracks, Richmond or some else, you might you might be putting a bent race car on the trailer when the, when the weekend's over. So. Yeah, but there have been a lot of guys that have come from the bigger teams that have that reputation, and as soon as they move to a smaller team where they're basically told, hey, look, you know, we only have four cars. Don't ruin this one. Um, they come around pretty quick to, to understanding and racing up to the limitations of their equipment better than they did at the bigger team. Yeah, that's true. That certainly is true. Um the TV ratings took a took a <laughs> took a bite. Uh, I don't know if you saw that uh, last week at, at Dover. Uh, let's see where are we here. Uh, I think they were down to a one one point one rating, which is the lowest ratings for a Cup race since the year two thousand. Yeah, it, starting the, the the races after NFL football starts is absolutely ridiculous. You know, if you are NASCAR and you are trying to get an audience and keep an audience, the only way to do it is like the old days. 
they used to start the East time zone races at noon Eastern time. So they would come on a full hour before the NFL football games. And I'm talking way back, you know, when the races were in ESPN. And they would get a good number of people tuning in to the races. And if the race was interesting enough, they might keep them through the rest of the race with folks then going over and tuning in the football games after halftime. So when you start the races after the biggest sport in North America, you are going to lose audience. And that's something that the TV, you know, folks want it, but they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot with the later start time. Well, and that's why I think that it's important for NASCAR to think outside the box and think about running some of these races on a Wednesday night because if you can sit there and end the NASCAR season before week one of the NFL season, you're going to be in a hell of a lot better shape than you are now, and you won't have to worry about a 1.1. And if you're going to tell me that you can't draw a 1.1 in the middle of June – on a Wednesday night for a NASCAR race, I think you're foolish. You know, I think uh, middle of the week, I think you're going to draw good numbers, especially if you started at a decent time. You can't have a an 8 o'clock Eastern start time. But if you started at a, at a normal hour, you know, the fans are still going to show. It's still a destination sport where people pick these tracks and plan their family vacations around these races. I think they're going to be in good shape. Yes and no. It would work certain times of the year, but once the kids are back in school in the fall, I think it would hurt your gait to have midweek races. Now, the midweek races that they should be doing are the truck series and the Xfinity series where they're not drawing fans anyway. Those races, you know, would not be hurt by having them be on a Wednesday night. And it would give more exposure to the sport of, of auto racing and NASCAR, which might get you even more people tuning in on Saturday, Sundays especially. Nobody watches even on Saturday at all now with the uh, football season going on for NCAA. That's the king in most markets right now. Especially down south. Yeah, they need to get better than 1.0 in NASCAR. That's, that is getting back down there. Uh, numbers that going to... yeah yeah it certainly is and and also um you know indycar there's a lot of you know we talked to robin miller he's 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 all you know he's been against the season ending so early but i understand why they're doing it mm-hmm. and it, it, it's you know uh, you, you know the thing is the the, the thing is with 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 the Wednesday thing they would it would have to be at a track and and they they can track this that has a large local following right you know a certain percentage that is going to be local and, and and whether that's Richmond or something like that it'll be interesting to see if that would work I don't know I, you know you, you don't want to do it at a big track like Daytona or Talladega or that right but it, it, it would have to be a, 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 sh- a smaller track so it's yeah. interesting to see. I just think IndyCar has a separate problem altogether with their schedule because when you sit there and you run a race and then all of a sudden you have three weeks off before right. your next race, that's what I think is so great about NASCAR is that it's every week, uh, with you know, with the exception of a handful, it's every Sunday 
You know when they're running. Um, you know, you pretty much you could set your schedule by it. Well, and I think that's fantastic. Where IndyCar, you know, it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. You know, for me, it, it's hard to sit there like, oh, are they running again this? Oh, yeah, they are, you know. I think uh, IndyCar would love to start the season out in Australia, and which I still think that may happen early in the season, like in February, late February, early March, and then go to St. Pete. Uh, or the other thing is, is before all, all the issues with the you know the troubles in, in Mexico was run again in Mexico. Yeah. And and but there's been so much uh, a political uproar with the drug trade and that it's 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 a little sketchy in in various parts of Mexico and there's a lot of teams that don't really want to go down there again. Uh, so uh, let's take a quick break here. We'll try and get Dennis and uh, when he crosses into another cell. Uh, we'll do a couple more uh, spots with him and get a prediction from Dennis, and then uh, we'll go to Sports Flash at the top of the hour. We're listening to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Final Inspection. Final Inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. And welcome back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway. They are open today. Make sure you check them out. Uh, they were closed yesterday because of a rain out, but they will be open today and tomorrow to see some racing at Great Lakes Dragway. And along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda, make sure you check them out for new and used vehicles. And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Dennis Michelson. Welcome back, sir. It's great to be back. Sorry about that, guys. No, that's all right. Hey, I just uh, big big news here too in the world of NASCAR Cup racing, and I know this is real important, especially for newlyweds and whatnot. That uh, Manscaped has joined uh, Rick Ware Racing and Spencer Boyd for Talladega. So uh, that San Diego, California-based Manscaped is a sponsor, and I'm wondering, are you uh, are, are are you a customer of that? Uh, I will uh, plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> so, again, on a more serious note, who's your pick for Talladega this week? Oh, I'm going with Kevin Harvick. Um, they've got a good drafting package, and I'm looking for uh, just about every week. I'm, I am i don't think you can go wrong picking either Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch the way the season's been going. It certainly is, and uh, with this race, I think, this is a race he pulls even with Dale Earnhardt sees with Dale Earnhardt Senior for most Cup starts, and uh, never thought you'd see that day occur. And uh, so, Kevin Harvick, uh, good pick. I like it, Dennis. And Dennis, as always, we thank you for joining the show. We'll look forward to chatting with you next week. All righty, guys, take care. All right, uh, Dennis Michelson. Make sure you check out his stuff at D Mike Media. He does, a, he does a bit of everything, doesn't he? He sure does, and he joined us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019. Look no further and call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank. 
providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. And Jeff and I also do a Green and Go Then and Now uh, Packers podcast. And we did one a couple weeks ago with Dennis, who does a lot with fantasy football. So make sure you check out that in uh, uh, for for getting all the up-to-date uh, stuff with Dennis and fantasy football. Good stuff there, as always. Uh, when we come back at the top of the hour, we got Sports Flash, and then when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, David Hobbs, talks of Formula One, uh, who's out in Japan and not racing today. All racing activities have been canceled because of a typhoon. So we're going to talk to David about that and some other things coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Milwaukee. Start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda. For the best in new and used vehicles, make sure you check out davidhobbs.com. And joining us, in fact, on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Mr. David Hobbs. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much, Steve, as always. Always good to be on your show. A bit long distance today. I'm down in Chattanooga at the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival, which is being put on by the DeFore brothers in Chattanooga. And I must say, for an inaugural event, it's going extremely well. Excellent. This morning, got lots of cars here, lots of instant cars. There's a whole street full of Corvettes, starting off as one of the earliest ones and ending up, of course, with the new mid-engine Corvette, which I think is going to cause quite a stir in the motoring field. And that is a, uh, that's been, yeah, they had that up at Road America, and that's been uh, quite the talk of the uh, the automotive world is that new rear-engine Corvette, that or mid-engine Corvette, I should say, that's been uh, all the rage uh, in the in the, all the magazines and uh, online. Uh, this week, well, yeah. Not surprising. I mean, it's, uh, it's the most magnificent-looking machine. It's got huge horsepower. And it's sort of going to list at like $60,000. Um, and quite honestly, you know, people like Ferrari, McLaren, uh, all sorts of people are going to have to have a bit of a rethink because, I mean, you know, there's sort of start at around about the 200 mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 60000 is going to make, I'd say, a big dent uh, in some of those guys' sales. But it certainly looks fantastic uh, again here at the end of this long line of Corvette. So uh, this shows how cars have evolved over the years. Unbelievable, really. It really has. It certainly has. The weather's pretty good. Is it 63 down there I'm seeing? Yes. It's actually their first cool day of the year. Last week, it was like 99. Yeah, I heard this. Quite quite honestly, out here in the streets at 99, probably a bit too hot. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's it's a lovely day today. And, of course, they've got the time trials running along the river, which is a very... uh, uh, picturesque thing to do. It's a great, great spot. Uh, the Tennessee River runs right through the middle of Chattanooga. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a good, it's a good turnout. Good, good thing. Wade Kareen is here. Brian Redmond's here. Uh, so uh, we've got some heavy hitters. 
Are is is Brian's uh, shoes dry yet? <laughs> oh, Brian! He showed us some pictures at breakfast again today of the house and the devastation of the house that he was staying in on Abaco. He got caught out there by that hurricane. Uh, he and his wife Marion got trapped in the house for the whole duration. Of course, power went down, so they had no phone, no power, um, and the house gradually kind of. It's a, it's a beautiful home. Uh, belonged to a friend of his, and it, it gradually sort of got wrecked around them. All the windows blew in, half the roof blew off. Um, so he and his wife, Marion, were pretty worried, but they survived it, and uh, uh, and he's here. Looking yeah, it is. In, it, it's a dealt. It's an incredible story. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and yeah, it, it's. I mean, Brian, in, a, in you know himself, has some fantastic stories, which I've, I've had the pleasure to hear over the years. But now this just, this, this just takes the cake, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is even better than any more, more danger, exposed to more danger here than any of his racing. <laughs> I mean, dodging dodging animals at the Targa Floria and and yeah. hitting parked cars and Formula Two races and setting himself yeah. on fire, and now he's in a hurricane. Yeah, <laughs> he just he just wanted to test everything. <laughs> so this week, this week Formula One is in Suzuka. And and it it seems like weather is always an issue with with the Japanese Grand Prix over the years, and and in fact so much so that because of the impending typhoon, they canceled all on track activities for today. And uh, you know this kind of harkens back to some of the times uh, qualifying's been canceled in the past in Formula One, but also heavy rains. And probably the most famous one was the uh, was the '76 Japanese Grand Prix. In which Nicky Lauda pulled off because of dangerous conditions, and uh, Mario Andretti uh, won in the Lotus that year. Yes, they um, well, they always have the race this time of year, which of course is famous um, here in America and uh, and in the uh, East and Pacific. But they they call them typhoons, as the hurricanes, uh, and there's this violent hurricane uh, has hit Japan. Um, you know, they've got two or three feet of rain uh, and high wind. And I know they put everything off till tomorrow, but, I mean, that's assuming that everything goes through today uh, and doesn't cause untold damage at the track. Um, so we got our fingers crossed that everything's going to be okay in uh, in Suzuka tomorrow uh, for the race and qualifying. So the, this is a, the second time, what, 10 years, I've had qualifying on the Sunday before the race and then the race. Uh, they had practice yesterday, and uh, somewhat to my surprise, the two Mercedes topped the timesheet. The Max Verstappen was next, and of course, Red Bull Honda would like to really uh, do well on their. Which is, I mean, the Suzuka is a Honda test track. That's what that's what it was for. Uh, so obviously, Honda wanted to do well there, and uh, then the two Ferraris came. Leclerc, young Leclerc, was slightly quicker than Sebastian Vettel. And then the second Red Bull Honda with Matt, with Albon uh, driving it. So <laughs> things are looking fairly good for Honda, but not just quite good enough yet. But we'll see how qualifying goes in the morning. Yeah, that should be interesting. And, uh, you know, Japan over the years, uh, the, the Japanese Grand Prix is its share of historical races. And especially uh, looking back at, uh, I think, 1990 with Senna and Prost. I know that's, that's big. Uh, Jeff remembers that one. Uh, but it's, you know, a lot of, well, a couple of times we had uh, incidents with uh, Prost. Uh, the one I, I'm thinking of is was in turn one 
with Prost and Senna with the Ferrari wow. of uh, Prost and uh, uh, Senna and the McLaren. Well, that to me was one of the most egregious um, racing incidents ever. And I must say that I can't believe how the world seems to have sort of just sloughed it off as if it was nothing much. But the year before, when they were both driving McLarens, uh, right towards the end of the race, um, Senna came up to, uh, Frost tried to overtake Senna uh, going into the uh, chicane, the last chicane. And uh, they had a coming together. Uh, Senna managed to carry on um, and then got disqualified. He won the race. Mm-hmm. And then got disqualified uh, for the, what was he doing? Did he go the wrong way for instance, or did he rejoin the track wrong or something? So he got disqualified. He got pissed off very, very badly. And then the following year, Prost left McLaren and they joined Ferrari. And they were going to the World Championship with with uh, Senna just slightly ahead um, in the points. And uh, I think it was the last Grand Prix. It used to be the last Grand Prix of the year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, they were both on the front row. And Senna just ran straight into the back of Prost at turn one, lap one. Took them both out uh, and won the World Championship. And he was, you know, smirking away there, very happy with himself that he'd won the championship. Um, but, of course, I I was appalled. I, I just thought that the actual gall and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just, go run, just go and run into somebody. I mean, they weren't, I mean, they're doing probably 140 miles an hour. And they just both run off the track. Car, Both cars were out. And um, to cause so much damage, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage, potentially killing them both. Uh, and today, of course, uh, if somebody did that, they would probably be banned for life. Yeah. And I've always been a bit surprised the way people just, as I say, kind of ignore that as if it was just another racing incident where, of course, it wasn't a racing incident at all. It was absolutely deliberate, an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Uh, but still, you know, I guess the whole world moved on and no one seemed to worry about it too much. <laughs> but um, to me, that that was pretty appalling. And uh, so, uh, as I say, today, if you did that today, you'd probably be banned for life. Right. Um, and... Certainly be banned for a year, I bet. Um, and they would never have given you the World Championship either. No, they so, wouldn't. Uh, no. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's a long time ago now. I, when you say that, 1990, so the first time was 1989. I suddenly realized that's... 30 years ago, Bob Varsha and I were calling that very race. In fact, we were there. In those days, when I was working with ESPN and Bob, we used to, we used to go to all races. Of course, there wasn't 20 races in those days. There was only about 15, but still in all, quite a lot of travel. And, and, and you were still racing then? And I was, yeah, well, just. A little bit. I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I really retired. I, I really retired. Basically, my last race was... Yeah, 1990. I, uh, I did the Dijon World Sports Car Race with Reinhold Yost, and I was co-driving with Palmer, Jonathan Palmer, in a, in a Porsche 962. And we qualified eighth, we ran eighth, and we finished eighth. And that was really my last professional drive. Consistency there. Uh, David, I know yeah. that you ran a race at Suzuka. What are some of your memories when Hurricane Habo uh, went over to Japan there to, to run that well, race? 
Well, actually, Hurricane Hollow didn't have much of a race. We, it had, we had terrible weather that day, too. Um, and we were sponsored by um, the, uh, what they call it, you know, the uh, church that, that uh, uh, the cross, the actor is uh, involved with. The, it was autodynamics, our car was called, but, uh, and it was sponsored by Ron Hubbard. And, oh, um, Dianetics. Yeah, Dianetics, exactly. Yeah. And we had trouble. who used to be team manager for John Fitzpatrick. And he had this uh, spice uh, with mainly pay drivers. But I went over to drive with the guy that was paying for his drive. And and, also Dyna- and uh, yeah, Dianetics was supposed to be paid for as well. And uh, I'm not sure whether we... I, I'm going to practice. I'm not quite sure whether we did the race or not. But I don't think we had much of a result. But I can tell you that that Suzuka is an auto track. And I know that most of the Formula One drivers, their two favorite tracks really are Suzuka and Spa uh, because they're both very demanding. Uh, a lot of elevation change, great corners, so it's super fast corners. You know, and some tricky slow ones, uh, a lot of good braking. Sector two at Suzuka, you go through turns one and two. And as you come out of turn two, you, you go into the second sector. And you go to the S's, which are really, really exciting and fun to drive um pretty high speed and a lot of direction change and uh pretty tough on the old neck muscles and you got to have a really good handling car there got to be good static handling you know dynamic handling it's got to be good aerodynamics as well so yeah it's a very very challenging course love it were you able to take in any of the uh the the the, the fun did you get to tokyo or did you try the sushi and all that stuff when you were out there were you the funny you should mention the sushi we had a, a, a woman with us who was our interpreter. So one night we went to this restaurant to have some authentic sushi. And my friend Dave Pruitt, who was a bit, a bit of a wimp anyway, uh, when his sushi arrived, the tail was still flapping on the fish. So they cut this poor fish up, they slice it while it's still alive, and it was still flapping on the plate. Needless to say, being a wimp, he didn't eat it, and uh, <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to eat it. But, uh, yeah, so that was my uh, first look at real, real authentic uh, sushi. But, uh, yeah, we, we went to Tokyo, obviously, and uh, I've been back there two or three times, and uh, had a bit of a look at Tokyo and some other, and uh, some of the other interesting towns there. It's a uh, it's a great place to visit. I mean, I love Japan, but it's a, it's a heck of a long way away. That's the trouble. Yeah, that that yeah, that in your homeland of uh, your parents' homeland of Australia, that's a heck of a yeah. plane ride out there. That's a long plane ride. Yes, there. you end up with blood clots <laughs> in your legs. Yeah, exactly. At my age, you do. That's oh. <laughs> well, David, yeah. we we certainly appreciate you coming on the show. We're chatting with uh, David Hobbs on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, uh, and he's in Chattanooga. Uh, enjoying the the Conquerors de Elegance. What's uh what's on uh, the next on your itinerary coming up? Well, I, I don't have much now, Steve. Uh, trying to sell some books down here, Hobbo, Motor Race the Motor Mouth, which we actually done too badly, really, uh, the last couple of days. Uh, then uh, I don't know, me and Max are going to England for a couple of weeks in November. Uh, then really my motor racing stuff all dies down very much until next year when. Um, I'll be going to Amelia Island in March, 
probably go to Sebring. Um, and then I'm sure we'll go to Indy, the Indy 500 with Honda again, as Greg and I have done for the last two years. That's always a good trip. Uh, so, yep, life is much simpler now than it used to be, Steve. Um, <laughs> but then it needs to be as you get to my age. <laughs> well, you're doing quite well. The, uh, you, you're, you you lead the, quite the active lifestyle, I must okay. say. <laughs> so people people well, who think you were going to just sit on a chase lounge with your feet up, uh, that's not the case. That's what I thought. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for having me on the show again. And uh, keep up the good work. And uh, keep selling those Hondas for us. All right, keep very good. So I can live the lifestyle I've become used to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. Thank you. That's David Hobb joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further and call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. This uh, part of the final inspection show is brought to you by Coaches Pub and Grill on South 13th Street. Cheer for the green and gold and Wisconsin. Enjoy Specials on Miller and Coors during the games, plus giveaways and raffles at Coaches on South 13th and Lake Danoon. And uh, what we have coming up is is the liquid part of the show. We don't know which way we're going to go here. Hopefully we'll be talking to somebody from Road Atlanta where the Petit Le Mans IMSA finale is being run. Hopefully we'll be talking either with uh, David Land or Eddie Lapine. We'll see who we can get a hold of coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Make sure you get out Great Lakes. who will be open this weekend. They were uh, rained out yesterday, but they will be open, even, to, even though it's a little cooler out. Get out there, because nothing warms you up like some great horsepower. And uh, some racing news, as we try and talk to our fellas in uh, Road Atlanta coming up here. Uh, I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, Austin Sindrick won the IMSA Pilot Challenge race at uh, at Road Atlanta, and uh, I, I, I'm I'm big on this. Young drivers, especially somebody like Austin Sindrick, kid's 21 years old, but he's been uh, you know racing professionally for a few years now. But he's one of these guys. He races. He likes. He gets a lot of seat time, and I think that is so valuable. I don't like it's it it's I don't I don't think it's a good thing when these drivers are just racing 10, 15 times a year uh, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They should be racing as much as they can. You know, you look at the great drivers coming up through the years. Um, I had an interesting conversation with Parnelli Jones. Uh, doing an interview with Parnelli Jones and, and you know, talking, he says, you know, growing up, you know, I, I was racing everything I could. You know, he came up through Southern California racing jalopies and actually uh, raced a few NASCAR races in the late 50s and early 60s before he head to the Midwest driving sprint cars. He did some sprint car racing with the California Racing Association in the late 50s, and then he got a ride out in, uh, in the Midwest racing with, with USAC. And so he's racing uh, sprint cars and that, but had won, in fact, won a couple of the, the West Coast 
uh, NASCAR races and had, had some success. But he was racing everything and everywhere he can, racing midgets, sprint cars, and then he, he raced stock cars, and he won seven stock car races in a row out here in Milwaukee, uh, uh, driving for Bill Strope. And, he, you know, he was just racing, 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 and then he started to cut back when his uh, business – uh, dealing started to get better and better, but he goes, he, he says, I thought it was something interesting at that time though. Uh, he said at that time, he said, you can only, I felt, uh, you know, when he was racing, you know, Indy cars and sprint cars and stock cars, he says, you know, you can only, and he, he never really got hurt. You know, he got banged up a few times and he's suffering some back issues now and whatnot. But he says, you can only put your head on the chopping block so many times. Right, and I thought that was pretty interesting the way of looking at it back then, because you know racing was was really really dangerous back then, but case in you know, case in point now where it's much 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 more safer, guys like Austin Sinder off race for the Xfinity Series. Hey, I'm going down the road to Atlanta race a Ford Mustang. He goes on and wins the thing. Yeah, it is fantastic, and seat time, and it doesn't matter what kind of seat it is, is awfully important. You know, if you go and, and race a sports car, but you're a typical NASCAR driver, there's still stuff that you're going to learn that you can apply to different tracks on the NASCAR circuit. So, you know, it uh, reminds me, you know, with Cindric, you know, Tony Stewart would sit there and mm-hmm. drive anything and everything that has a motor. Kyle Larson, the same way. Natalie Decker, you know, she'll she's sitting there and, uh, you know, she'll run the sports cars at, at Road America and the main reason why she's doing that is just to try to improve her skills at road courses. Seat time is fantastic, especially like you said, with an up and coming driver where if you have a day off uh, and, and these guys do work hard and there's so many uh, time demands that they have to deal with. But if you're just going to sit there and hang out and do nothing on a Wednesday night, race a freaking lawnmower or anything, you know, I it's easy to cheer for the guys that, enjoy and give their heart and soul to racing anything on any given day. I love it. And that's one of the reasons why I root for Cindric. Yeah. It's, uh, me too. I, you know, granted it, 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 you know, it helps being affiliated with Penske racing and everything. Involved of course. With that. But it, it is, I like seeing the kid race and, you know, is he, the second coming of Kyle Larson, that remains to be seen, but the kid does have talent. Well, He's- and that's why it was tough. Uh, when was it? Last year or the year before when Kyle Larson had in his contract that he could only run a certain amount of sprint car races, uh, you know, per year. And I thought that that hurt NASCAR at the grassroots level. Because obviously, if you get Kyle Larson to sit there and show up at your local track on a random, you know, Friday night, you're going to draw a bigger crowd than if you just have nothing but local drivers. Tony Stewart and uh, his his whole series is a perfect example. They draw great uh, crowds up in Sheboygan, Mm -hmm. up at Angel Park, you know. Uh, wherever they go, they draw well because Tony's going to be there. Uh, Blaney's going to be there. You're going to see some bigger guys that that have been there and done that and raced at the highest level. So it's fantastic when these guys aren't constricted by all of the, uh, you know, this the the contract stipulations that say you can't race in another car more than four times a year. Right. Or six times a year. 
Uh, one thing we didn't get to cover in the first hour of the show is Eric Amarola is uh, extended with Stuart Hodges Racing. And just so happened, so did Smithfield. It's an interesting component of this, though. Smithfield is uh, uh, extended, but Amarola would not confirm his length of his uh, his extension. So me thinks that I think it's it might be just a one year extension with Smith with Smithfield saying, yeah, it's a try. Let's try Eric one more year and then see where that goes. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that. Uh... You know, I think it's definitely one year, and I think Al Marola, you know, Stuart Haas knows what, what kind of equipment they're putting out there, and it's top-of-the-line stuff. And, uh, you know, it was tough for Clint Boyer to uh, to come back to Stuart Haas this year because he struggled. Uh, Daniel Suarez, same way. Mm-hmm. You know, so these jobs aren't guaranteed like they were just a few years back. So good for Eric. You know, it's one year, put up or shut up, and, uh, you know, pedal pedal to the metal. He's been good, but he hasn't been great. He's got no wins, one top five finish, but ten top ten finishes. Right. So he's a guy who's finishing sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. But that's still less than 33% of the races where he's in the top ten. Mm-hmm. That's not good enough when you're on that team. No. That's good enough when you're on Matt DiBurrito's team right now. Well, and that's, I'm really surprised. I'm happy that he's in a 21 car, but I thought one of the teams that might take a look at him would have been uh, Stuart Haas. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I did too, but, you know, supposedly it's Cole Custer waiting in the wings over there. That is true. So, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, you know, Amarillo gets one more year, you might see Cole Custer in that car, or, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what Suarez in that. Uh, you know, anything can happen. And this is a sponsor-driven sport. Of course. And now Gene Haas, when he went to a four car team, Gene Haas did that on him on himself when mm-hmm. he brought in Kurt Bush. Yeah, he did. So there is a, you know, it is Stuart Haas, but they're not necessarily joined at the hip. And it, it I I'll, I'll, well, I think everybody knows it's more Gene Haas's money that's going into that team than Tony Stewart's. Right. Of course. You know, um, but like you, I fully expect where if Almirola has the same season next year that he's having this year, it's sayonara after uh, after next year for oh, him. Japanese Grand Prix. Now you're breaking out Japanese. I'm, see, I'm, I you am see really what's going impressed. on. This is really this is, and and let's face it, there's a few uh, few interesting drivers coming up through the Xfinity series and the Truck series, and maybe you'd take a look at them. Yeah, you know it. Uh, but Cole Custer is the next guy in line. Of course, of yeah. course, and. You know the benefit of last week at Dover. You know the benefit of getting some of these young guys in, besides the fact that they're cheaper for the teams themselves, is that if you get a guy who's young and he can prove himself fairly quickly, you have a chance to build a lasting, long-term relationship with these sponsors, where it's not a two-year deal or three-year deal like Kurt Busch had. Uh, at Stuart Haas, where he was in and he was out the door pretty quick. You know, you get a chance to for these teams as well to get those big yearly sponsorship deals with these companies. And uh, that does nothing but help the entire team, the owner, the driver, everybody. So sometimes going young is not the worst thing that can happen. And Clint Boyer is an old school driver. You know, he's a guy who was raised on the dirt tracks and that and and probably would tell you, and I, I think I've heard this, you know, he was, would, didn't expect he was going to reach the cup level. Right. 
and and but you see interviews with him over the last six months or doesn't look like he's having fun in the Cup Series. He's now granted he's very competitive and he's had some bad races and bad, you know, just it, it's been frustrating for him. But you wonder. There's a couple things you wonder. Is is one thing his salary? Is he's that old? He was still in that group that was getting that the the money that was in he's the the two twenty ten money is not the same as twenty nineteen. So I'm wondering how much you know how much is he racing? Is he getting less? How much less is he getting? Is it you know? And you wonder how long is he going to be? Because I thought, well, you know, Cole Custer could come in at a at a cheaper rate. It'll be interesting to see. Well, what I'm trying to say, I'm, I, I, you, you wonder how long he's going to be in that car. Yeah, it. Uh, and not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying, from a budget point of view, things are getting tight in racing all over. Well, of course, you know, I think, uh, you know, next season's going to be a huge, huge season for the entire Stuart Haas organization, because you could sit there and legitimately see Clint Boyer, Amarola and Daniel Suarez all leave the organization in the same year, which if Gene Haas decides to keep that fourth team open, there is three open rides with very good equipment available for guys to step in and be successful. But the bar will have been set that you need to be successful in our equipment or you're going to be – waving bye-bye on your way out the door real quick well let's take a break here and we'll call atlanta actually brazelton georgia and we'll see if we we can muster up coming up next on the final inspection show Final inspection show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda. And uh, just checking social media on the break. And uh, Dinner with Racers, one of our favorite podcasts. And uh, we've had uh, Ryan Eversley on the show a couple times. Uh, they're doing a live iRace. This is funny. It's the MX5 Cup at Talladega. Nice. <laughs> nice. And it's quite entertaining. I would like to see that live. Uh, but then, I don't know, maybe... Then again, uh, I, I'm not sure. So, they're, yeah, they're running three wide here going into turn one. And it's uh, Oh, boy, we got a spin and a crash, and we got three cars upside down. Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe we they, they shouldn't do this in real life. Uh, yeah, and it's cool because they're racing at dusk, and they got the headlights on. So it's uh, – <laughs> if you're on Facebook, take a look at it. It's kind of That would kinda be amusing. entertaining. It's with three laps to go, and uh, – yeah, it's. I don't know if they're racing the green or. Yeah, I think they're racing to the check, racing to the checkers. Um, hybrid. Of course, we have we've had hybrid or uh, kinetic energy in uh, uh, in Formula One. It's coming to IndyCar. Uh, we're not ever going to see it in uh, NASCAR, are we? Uh yes, yes, we are. What? NASCAR has uh, put the green light for hybrid cars to run on the racetrack in 2022. So, uh, you know, it's obviously environmentally friendlier. And uh, it says it's going to boost performance and speed as well. 
Uh, it looks like, you know, IndyCar, you know, they're switching to hybrid the same year in 2022. But, uh, but yeah, NASCAR has given that the green light as well. Now, you know, there's, it's funny because in NASCAR, obviously, you got Ford, Chevy, Toyota. Now, Ford and Toyota, especially Toyota, they sell a ton of hybrid cars. Now, Ford, they're coming out with a performance Mustang hybrid mm-hmm. uh, as well. But Chevrolet has completely scrapped their hybrid program Uh-oh. because they're going all electric. So with NASCAR now going hybrid, is that going to hurt Chevrolet more than it you know, would affect Ford and Toyota, who is... You know, still developing, improving on the technology and everything like that. I don't think it'll matter because I think they'll have a homogulated hybrid system that'll be across all three. Yeah, I do too. You know, the it it seems like more and more it's all going spec. Heaven forbid a manufacturer would have an advantage. We can't have that in NASCAR. No, you can't have anybody trying to grab any advantage anymore because that's not what the sport was built on. Yeah. Uh, What? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know. The specs are going to be so tight on it that it probably won't affect Chevrolet. Uh, no, I I understand why, but you know it it it's it's frustrating and kind of sad when I still hear people denigrating and let's being basically let's face it racist about having Toyota involved with the sport. I can't imagine some of the purists and that thinking about a hybrid in NASCAR. Yeah, you know, the stuff that's... Are they going to draw more? I mean, seriously, are you going to draw people coming into NASCAR because they're hybrid now? No. No, the hippies aren't going to watch. Are you going to lose more? You're going to lose more. You know, it, uh, yes, and and it is sad when you see some of the things that get said about Toyota racing. You know, wake up, people. But, yeah, yeah, like you, they're going to lose a hell of a lot more fans than they're going to gain because of this switch. And... I don't see what the benefit is, to you know, to be honest with you. I'd like to get Roger Penske off to the side, off the record, and see what he says, or even Richard Childress. Yeah. And then we'll see what they say. Because right now, you know, Roger Penske, if you, if you haven't, uh, look up an article that came out about two or three months ago where he wants to expedite this next-gen car, which suddenly has been. Uh, they, uh, this is what we're going to talk about, David Lando. Uh, about uh, was the next day did release a couple photos, and your your buddy, your personal buddy, uh, Austin Dillon was doing the testing at Richmond with mm-hmm. it. Did you see the photos of it? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a weird looking car. Eh, it's not that weird. I just, no, uh, but I mean the design that was all over the side of it. You know. Oh, you mean that? Well, they do that. I, yeah, that's, right. That's been that's an automotive thing, but um, it's. My wife continues to text me during the radio show. Well, it's not like you're busy or anything. She wants to know what we're doing for lunch. Well, that's important, Steve. That's important. You know, uh, if uh, if you were buying me lunch, I'd want to know that as well. But don't you feel bad. Lunch? Oh, let me do, let me put the listeners on hold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me call and place this order. Uh, hang on, guys. We got about two minutes of dead air while I uh, while I call and uh, order my lunch. But no, my wife texts me too during the show, and then 
I get yelled We're at. We're doing Taco that. Bell. <laughs> right on the air. How's that? And then I get yelled at that I didn't pick up, you know, it's or I didn't answer her text fast enough. <laughs> well, uh, I'm at work. I'm a little busy. I'm at work, dear. It is amazing how people text you during radio shows. Uh-huh. Oh, I know. You know, I, I'm in here all morning. I've been here since, uh, well, I was, uh, you know, here with Mike McGivern from, um, what, 8 a.m. Yep. till noon. And the amount of text messages that he got during that four-hour period, <laughs> it'll make your head spin. Everybody does. You know. Now, I will sometimes, I'll text Sparky during the big show if they're asking a question or something, especially, you know, if it's a, it's a historic nature. And if I know the answer, I'll sometimes text it to him. Sometimes he uses it. Sometimes he doesn't. But, yeah, you know, I'll try and you know, to help the show or something. Right. Or, you know, if I just so happen to be, you know, oh, who's that guy? You know, you know, Gary will be saying, oh, who's that guy who used to do this or that? And, oh, that was so-and-so. But, yeah, you know, and, yeah, but, yeah, it's crazy. It's like they, uh, they hear you on the radio and, <laughs> oh, yeah, now I remember, you know, hey, Steve, you want to do dinner on Wednesday night? Like, you know, come on, man. So, it, it is funny. Well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break here, and we'll see. Uh, We've we'll got s- Eddie Lapine, so let's take a break, and then we can hear oh, he's from. On a, do you want to do him now? It's up to you. Let's do him now. Okay. All right, well. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from Road Atlanta, it is Edward J. Lapine from RacingNation.com. Welcome to the show, sir. It's Edward A. Lapine. <laughs> Anthony? Yeah, no, Alan. Edward Allen. Allen. And Hobbo's here. Yeah. Hobbo's here. No, not at Royal. He's in Chattanooga, I thought. Yeah, Chattanooga. No, Hobbo. Somebody said they just saw Hobbo at Road Atlanta. Well, we just talked to him. He said he's down in Chattanooga. Boy, I tell you, it's something else. And somebody's passing around the devil's lettuce down there. It was probably John Watson. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know, man. I'm it, the weather's been so nice here. I just it's it's like uh, Chamber of Commerce weather. It's never been like this in 20 years of coming here. Yeah, the weather's always been kind of suspect there, hasn't it? it? Oh, it's usually horrendous. Isn't even the word for it, but it's just been a fabulous weekend. Um, you know, I mean, this the big last race of the year. Very exciting, ten hours of Petit Le Mans at the Michelin Raceway at Road Atlanta. Yeah, and awesome. it's, yeah, this is a pretty neat deal. Of course, this is the grand finale for a very uh, interesting IMSA season. And uh, what's cool about this? It's a ten-hour race, and they usually a lot of the the teams add a third driver. So you have drivers like uh, Scott Dixon is 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 running there, and and a few other notables. And it's it's also the last race uh, for the Ganassi Four GT race. Yes, it is. It's uh, you know like the end of an era, which is kind of hard to believe with that movie coming out with Matt Damon. Uh, you know, Ford versus Ferrari. Basically, that's what's going on today here at Road Atlanta, and kind of sad to see those cars going away. Yeah, it certainly is. There was some speculation of them going uh, maybe to a privateer. And uh, what's the latest with that? Well, I think they're just talking. Uh, quite frankly, my honest opinion, I just don't see it happening. It, it it just costs, it's so expensive to run one of those cars engineering-wise that it's, 
a private tier is just not practical, but you may see one at Daytona uh, just because it's Daytona. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, the prototypes are, are, are the, the the big guys, of course, in that series. And uh, with Pen, you know, the Penske Acura, all they have to do is finish eighth or better to win the championship. And right now it looks like we have uh, Juan Pablo Montoya running third. Yes. Um, I, actually, you got a better vantage point right now. I we cannot pull up uh, any of the track statistics right now on my phone. So it's kind of hard to uh, tell you what's going on exactly on the track. But, yeah, that's exactly what they do. And, and the Porsches, too, are uh, the 911 and mm-hmm. 912 are in Coca-Cola liveries. It's really pretty cool. It's very exciting, Coca-Cola being uh, their hometown uh, corporate office and Porsche's corporate office for North America Porsche USA. So it, it's really cool to see them together, and the cars look really awesome. Um, sometime today I'm going to post some stuff on on the, the final uh, the, the Facebook page. I just haven't had, uh, you know, you know how the Internet works. Oh, yeah. The track. Especially and Road Atlanta. Yeah, Road Atlanta and Mid-Ohio are n- notorious for their Internet connections. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten a lot better, but, I mean, it's really still been real difficult. But it, it, the weather has made up for any type of uh, delay with the uh, high-speed Internet here, definitely. Well, we got we got Pipple Durani in the 31 Whalen car in, is leading in, in DPI. And, of course, you know, he's – He's probably one of the fastest drivers on track. Mike Conway, of course, former IndyCar driver on the number five Cadillac running second. Then we have the aforementioned uh, Montoya and the Penske Acura running third. Oliver Jarvis in the Mazda running uh, fourth with Will Owen in the number 50 Cadillac running uh, fifth. And then for uh, GTLM, of course, we got the Fords running one and two with Ryan Briscoe and your friend Dirk Mueller uh, running first and second. Uh, James Caldwell at number 62 Ferrari. And then we have uh, the the last race for the uh, C7 Corvette with uh, Jan Magnussen, who's moving on from that team. And then uh, our friend oh, Earl Bamber is the guy who's who's been who's probably going to win the championship in the GTLM. And uh, in fact, let, let, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, Eddie. When we come back, I want to talk about Bill Alberlin, who's leading in the in the GT uh, GTD uh, class in the BMW, and, and what record he's he might be uh, ready to break when we come back on the final inspection show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends in, at David Hobbs Honda. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, live from Road Atlanta for the finale, IMSA finale at the Petit Le Mans, it is Eddie Lapine. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. How, how are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic. Of course, 
uh, you know, there's been improvements. We were talking earlier in the first hour about the improvements that they did at Talladega, but Road Atlanta too is uh, certainly changed with the new uh, with the new press tower there, courtesy of Michelin. Uh, tell us more about that, please. Well, it's incredible what they've done. Michelin is really it's the Michelin Raceway now, and uh, they've incredibly redid the building. It's you know state of the art. Right up there, like Coda, when it comes to uh, hospitality suites and uh, media center, actually, it's uh, it, all it, glass, it, good it, access. Yeah, it's a pretty cool view too from there too. You get to see the the the, the pit straight and the front straightaway and, the, and into the turn, can't you? Yes, definitely, and yeah. it's. Uh, it, you know, I mean, it's like anything when you you have a major upgrade like that. Um, and you have a major sponsor step in, it, it's great. It's great for the sport. Uh, they're doing lots of little things with the roads and stuff like that. And Road Atlanta is a great place to come. And I, I would think at some point now, NASCAR owning it, that we will see a NASCAR race there. That would be interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, that's there's been talk about that for a couple of years. And, and you know, there's been – there's there's your Road America contingent. I think it should be a Road America, and then there's but there's uh, people I also think a Road Atlanta would be very uh, very good. And uh, but I'm sure the friends at uh, at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway would have uh, uh, would would wouldn't be too happy about that. But getting back well, to I mean, that's, yeah, getting back to IMSA, Bill Auberlin, BMW driver, has been you know for in the series for a long time. He's going after a record, isn't he? Yeah, I mean it's. It's unbelievable of uh, all the records he's breaking, mm-hmm. especially in today's world when you see drivers, uh, you know, that are around for one or two years. Here he is, 20, what is it, like 25 years now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's incredible. Now he looks good, uh, too. He doesn't age. No, he actually, I think he's in a lot better of. of He's a lot better fit than he was a couple years ago, I think. I mm-hmm. really believe that. He's he's really uh, eating right and, and really taking care of himself, and I think it's showing. He's still fast. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and I, I think he really wants to go for, a, you know, another record. So yeah. I think that's why, you know, he's, his motivation is to set the bar so no one will break it. You know, uh, you know I'm not a – I follow IMSA on that, but I'm, I don't follow it as tightly as you or Jack Webster or David Land or a couple of these, or Tony Dezino. But I was kind of surprised, you know, the, the 62 Ferrari's been around for years, but I don't know about the the guy who won the GTLM pole. That was James Collado. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Well, James is a world champion. He is a Ferrari factory driver. He basically stepped in with Jimmy Bruni was there, and they were teammates for that year, but he won the world championship last year. They won Le Mans last year. They really should have won Daytona this year in that class, but uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if it was the rain delay, red flag thing at the 24-hour Daytona uh, cost them the race. Uh, they were coming like you can't even believe at that race, and the red flag put an end to it. So, And, uh, you know, the politics of Ferrari going and coming back and going, 
they really want Ferrari back. And now with Ford leaving, uh, it's even more important. He put it on the pole. Uh, Quite frankly, they gave him a little BOP, so that was not the biggest shocker. But what I think was really a good thing was is it was two-tenths of a second covering first through seventh Mm -hmm. for the start of the race today. So, you know, you have a lot of people that are complaining about the balance of performance and basically, in a nutshell, you know, making adjustments to make it more equal. And they've done an amazing job when you think about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, around this course that these cars are two-tenths of a second separating seven cars. So, you know, there's there's pros and cons about anything, but it, it, we'll see as this race today with 10 hours and starting later this year, by the way, and so it will be ending later. It started at noon because it was on NBC. Um, that's what's really going to make it interesting. This race really is one between five and seven o'clock basically when the when the sun starts going down you're going to see people going to the front and being faster and if your car's working it's going to be better it'll be interesting to watch make sure you tune in for the petite lamal on on tv today and uh, eddie who, who do you like in the race for uh, g or for uh, overall well, overall you gotta go with people i mean they gave a little bit to cadillac but yeah. that kid is He's won every endurance race. He is one heck of a nice kid, too. All right. And, he's quick, uh, too. Eddie, we got 30, 30 seconds here. We got to go. Uh, we got a game coming up. Uh, Jeff, what's the game coming up next? Alabama and Texas A&M can be heard right here on the fan coming up next. Eddie, thank you. We'll talk to you again. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.